Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 296. I've always uh, lived by the old proverb that a man of integrity tells the truth even at his own expense. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Howard Mackert. Howard, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. I even have my helmet in the back seat. All right. Well, hopefully you don't need your helmet. I'll try to keep Shouldn't all four be. tires on the road today, and we won't go into any walls, all right? All right, good. Howard Mackert is the owner of Mac Auto, Mackert Automotive in Gig Harbor, Washington. He started his business on September 15, 2001, just three days after that 9-11 tragedy. Earlier in his career, he spent nine years in a GM dealership as a tech manager and field engineer, helping solve issues with their 1-800 hotline, things that other people just couldn't solve. He then trained independent diesel shops in electrical theory and electrical control systems. He was born in 1955. That was the same year the small block Chevy was born. So Howard always says he's been a car guy ever since then. (laughs) Howard, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your business, your career, and of course your passion for automobiles? I like to tell people that my two favorite things are cars and people. And I'm sorry, but sometimes your car might outclass you, and they (laughs) laugh, which is good. Yeah, just Uh, like me. (laughs) But I started. I was always passionate about cars. Uh, Hot Rod magazine, just uh, see a car, a Corvette on the street, and just go crazy. And and then of course the Camaro came out, and I was instantly in love. And I was a math major in college, so I was always into numbers, and I'd memorize the compression ratio and the and the horsepower and torque and all those specs, and I could rattle them off off the top of my head. So I got into it at a young age, and I started at a GM dealership, Chevy Olds dealer, right out of high school and worked there for six years before going on to college. One of my summer, um, one of my professors from college was worked at the dealership in the summer, and every year he'd say, what are you still doing here? You need to go to college. <laughs> and so I finally decided, what the heck? I had to foot the bill, so that was a little bit of a delay. Oh, yeah. But I'd learned, a, I'd learned a great skill for working my way through college, and I was uh, you know, doing really well at the dealership and work hard in the summer and then afternoons during the school year. And I was three years into, into my, towards my four-year degree, and I got hired on by Oswaldville to be a service rep. And so I uh, started out in Billings, Montana with Oswaldville, and six months later was promoted to Denver to the number one district in the zone. And uh, a couple of years later, I jumped ship and went over to the engineering side and started what they called the Diagnostic Repair Center, or fondly called the Last Chance Garage. <laughs> because if a car was going to get bought back for a lemon law, they'd ask for one more chance to fix it. And oh, okay. uh, the arbitrator would usually give them another shot. So basically, it was a, a factory repair facility, an uh, engineering lab. So we would give qualified re- uh, information back to the engineering community and uh, so we had a real good list of phone numbers of people that would return our calls, and that really helped when they stopped uh, that operation and rolled it into nationwide with 60 field engineers in 48 states. 
and that's what brought me up to Gig Harbor in November. It'll be 24 years ago. Oh, wow. And I told, told my wife about six months into it, I said, you know, I think I'll leave GM before I leave Gig Harbor. Yeah. Uh, we just fell in love with the place. And, you know, Michigan, Gig Harbor, that's not a tough choice. Yeah. And so, so uh, in 98, they restructured their field operations and eliminated 3,000 jobs in the field and were looking for volunteers for people to quit. So they gave me a golden handshake. In essence, they paid me not to go to Michigan. So what's wrong with that picture? Yeah, go on <laughs> to Gig Harbor, buddy. Sure. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So um, so I did the engineering or the diesel thing like you mentioned in the intro. And then uh, the fall of 2000, uh, they quit signing up for my classes at 200 bucks a day per person. And uh, so I found myself unemployed, which is uh, answer to one of the questions to come. But that led to me opening up my own shop. And uh, I was—I thought, well, I'll pay the bills until job of my dreams comes along. And it snuck up on me that this is the job of my this dreams. This was the job of your dreams. It wow. was crazy. <laughs> I thought I'm going back 25 years. And, yeah. Uh, Twisting wrenches out of high school. And it's like, wow, what a difference it makes to be able to set the business culture and treat people right and and not have to do it the way your boss says, but do it the way you know it should be done. Right, right. And, uh yeah, so it's been it's been a tremendous adventure. I love the saying that that if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Yes, Henry and Ford. A lot of days, a lot of days, it doesn't feel like work. Some days it does, but yeah. mostly it feels like a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, wonderful story. That's why I wanted to have you on the show. I too live up here in Gig Harbor, and Howard and I met of all places at a distillery where we learned how to make some vodka and bourbon together, which was quite <laughs> interesting, but. Uh, we, of course, were the two car guys there, ended off in the corner talking cars, and uh, yeah. I really appreciate you being on the show. Great story, great entrepreneurial story, fits what we're doing here at Cars Yeah. And as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guest for a success quote, something that has been inspirational in your life. It's a great way to get the tires turning here on Cars Yeah. I know you're sitting in your car as we're doing this interview, Howard, so take the wheel. I've always uh, lived by... The old proverb that a man of integrity tells the truth even at his own expense. Mm. And, uh, and that's what drives us is we're honest even when it hurts and nobody will know but us. So you may have a $900 estimate and you come in and there's no charge because when we dove into it, we found out like Snyder Roofing that it was, oops, that was a former employee's mistake. No charge to you. So that's our, that really drives our business. But I love this quote by Henry Ford. He says, there's one rule for industrialists, and that is, make the best quality of goods possible at the lowest cost possible, paying the highest wages possible. Mm, yes. Yeah. I like that. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of those things that most people hate doing is getting their car fixed. It's because, they, you know, you end up back where you started, in a sense, but also, you always feel like, am I really being treated honestly? You know, did they really have to fix that? Or am I getting, you know, kind of worked over with and everything? And I love it. And that's why I loved talking with you and learning about your business. Because as I sat there and spoke to you, I could tell you were a man of your word. And, and you really believed in it. And, and that history of diagnosing cars that were going to get bought back because the Lemon Law really helped bring you to where you are today. Because... Yeah, you can figure out what's really going on and fix the real problem and uh, not cause more expenses. So those are great quotes. I love both of them. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? I'd love to learn about that pivotal moment in your life, as you can remember it, when you really knew you were a car guy. 
Well, I think I was 14, and I'd been working in the orchards in the summer, driving tractors and stuff, and my older brother uh, trusted me behind his the wheel of his 68 Malibu 327 four-speed. Ooh, nice. And that thing flew. Yeah. And we'd do quarter-mile runs and, uh, and time each other to see who was faster and who could shift better. I was 14, and I'm drag racing this car, just having a blast. And that really cemented my my passion for Chevys and and for racing. Very cool. It was cool. a good time. Bright red. Pull me over red. <laughs> oh, awesome. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Mm. What I'd love to do is take a look at your career and crawl into the hood, as I say, and get our hands a little dirty. Certainly something you're not afraid to do. And ask you to share a huge challenge or a great failure that you faced along the way in your career. This is a great part of our talk because it teaches others how to overcome those difficult situations and what you learned from them. Yes, I'd be glad to. Uh, I alluded to the fact that I was unemployed for the first time in my life back in the fall of 2000, and that really rocked me. I mean, I always, I mean, I had a fat salary job with GM and new company cars, and, and I was living the high life, and all of a sudden I got no income. I mean, a little bit. I had a two-car garage at home with a steep driveway, so I couldn't really push cars in and out. And I was doing a few things, but but I was basically, I mean, when I opened the shop, my house was in foreclosure, mm. and that just rocked me to the core. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, so much of my identity was in my credit score, and and it really stripped away a lot of uh, the unimportant things about me and it really taught me a lot a lot about myself and about uh, my perseverance and strength so when I opened the shop up uh, we were six days a week and I was the only guy worked on Saturdays and we had fleets that uh, construction was booming in you know 2002 and and on and so I had these construction companies and I was the only shop they trusted that was open on Saturday to work on their cars so I'd be there till 10 at night on some of these jobs to make sure it was ready Monday morning yeah then uh, and then had one day to rest (laughs) so that was (laughs) uh, it was quite a challenge but it was an emotional challenge and and uh, as well as a physical one well you know one thing great here my father taught me always have some type of a trade to fall back on that you can do, and yeah. you definitely had that, and little did you know that would become your next career move, your your next entrepreneurial uh, adventure, and something that, best of all, you really enjoyed. So those hard times that we go through, and many people went through them when the economy tanked in 2008, 2009. I hear it from many of my guests. They kind of have to reach down deep, and I love the way you said redefined who you were focused on what was really most important in your life instead of sometimes all the things we surround ourselves with. So I appreciate you sharing that that really personal story. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story when you had one of those career aha moments, when the headlights come on and illuminate your way for a new idea or a new direction. Tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. It happened about... Most likely, uh, about three years ago, I'm going to guess. Time flies so fast. Uh, You know, customers come in, didn't we just do breaks two years ago? (laughs) No, it's been six years. Yeah, (laughs) time Time for breaks. (laughs) Time for them again. Um, 
And I, I had a guy, speaking of brakes, uh, a Mercedes owner, and he called called up and said, hey, the brake wear light on my dash came on. And I said, okay, great. When when you want to bring it in? And he says, well, I was just in uh, two weeks ago. Hmm. I looked it up, and I said, yeah, you were just in for an oil change. And he <laughs> says, well, if all I want is an oil change, I'll go to Jiffy Lube. Uh, and the lights went on. I apologized yeah. to him. We gave him a discount on the brake job, and it changed the total focus of our business. Yep. And um, we were running, we were so busy, we were doing about 300 cars a month, and we were so busy that we, if, unless it was safety-related, we didn't tell customers that they needed something, uh, a maintenance thing or something, until they picked up their car, because if they asked us to do it, we didn't have time to do it. Yeah. We were running around with our hair on fire. Yeah. And so we said, okay, we've got to slow this thing down and make sure that we're thorough and we check every car. And that's when I came up with our, our tagline that we keep you off the roadside waiting for a tow truck. Mm, yeah. And so now our focus is prevention. They say it costs seven times more to repair something than to maintain it. Yes. And so uh, so it's best for the customer. It's best for us. It slows down the, the, the you know, nobody's hair's on fire. And, and I don't have that much to turn on, to light on fire regularly. <laughs> I, I need to keep it, yes. Yeah. And so, uh, so we had a dilemma. How do we slow this thing down? And, of course, the classic business uh, answer is you just raise your prices, you'll have more customers. But I had a problem because... We're off the beaten path, so we're kind of a destination shop. You don't just drive by us and go, oh, I'll pull in and check this guy out. And so we'd gain customers by word of mouth, by people who come in. We always ask them, how did you find us? And uh, people say, oh, my whole family comes here. We're like, so you're just the stubborn one that's finally <laughs> took this long? <laughs> yeah, finally yeah. Got <laughs> you. Okay. okay, welcome to the family. We'll take care of you. Or they'll say, everybody on my block comes here. And I remember that when the the idea of raising prices, and I thought, you know, I could lose 20 people with one person that said, wow, that was expensive. You know, don't go to Mackard anymore. That was just way expensive. And I could lose 20 at a shot, and pretty soon I'm waiting for the phones to ring. And so I thought, you know, let's be more strategic. Let's be smarter than that. Uh, we don't have to do what the business people say out there, you know. Harvard Business School. And so we we narrowed down the scope of what we do. We're really built for and designed for the newer cars with uh, computer-controlled systems. I've got six different scan tools to talk to every car out there mm -hmm. and the systems on the cars. So you got a warning light that comes on, then we're your place. That's our focus. Yeah. And so our training, our tooling and equipment, our pricing is all set for that. And so uh, it was a hard decision, but we had to quit working on the old hot rods. That pulled me out from behind my desk. I'm the only guy. These guys are a carburetor? What's a carburetor? Points yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a condenser? What yeah. the heck are you talking about? So I was the guy. I mean, I'm trying to train somebody or I'm doing it myself. So it wasn't profitable. They're, they're high-liability, low-profit cars. Uh, and then we quit doing diesel work. I done all that diesel stuff when I was independently employed and and uh, so I was still getting phone calls from all over the the country uh, with questions from these guys that have been in my classes mm. and so I kind of felt obligated to stay up on it and and work on them but the special tool cost is is staggering yeah especially if you're working on everything out there you know Duramax Cummins uh, Power Stroke and not to mention the 
the Volkswagen diesels. Of course, yeah. And now BMW, everybody else has got diesels, and they all have special tools at a thousand dollars a whack. And uh, and there's, uh, but the nice thing is, is there's diesel specialty shops, and that's all they do. So they take their Cummins down, and they get something fixed, and they still come back to me for brakes and ball joints and things like that. And so yeah. I don't really lose a customer; I just lose that niche of work. Very cool. And those diesel shops stay on top of it with their tools and their training, and they're the best at it because that's their focus. Yeah. And so it ended up being a win-win, and between those two things, we slowed it down to about 220, 240 cars a month, and now every car gets looked over. Even if the customer doesn't want to pay, I shouldn't say this on, on live, <laughs> <laughs> even if a customer doesn't want to pay the sixty nine ninety five for a thorough inspection, uh, I pay my guys some time to look the car over. Yeah, yeah. Because we want to make sure there's not a bulging hose that's about ready to rupture or a belt that's frayed and about to fall off, anything that really puts you on the side of the road. And so even when people don't want to pay the inspection fee, we still look at it because we want to make sure it's going to be dependable for them. Well, it's a great story, and there's a big lesson to learn here is your customers will usually tell you what they want. And in this case, that brake customer did, and you allowed yeah. you to pivot and provide a service for your future customers that they really benefit from. That's great. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? You know, it's probably not what you would expect, but about a year ago, I mean, I've graduated to a side office now, so I'm not involved in the day-to-day uh, flow of the business. I help out when things get crazy. And uh, I've got two terrific guys up front that the customers just love. And uh, so one day, one of them was off that day, and I noticed that Jared, my service manager, had like uh, five people lined up at the desk to talk to him. So mm-hmm. I thought, I'll come out and help. Yep. So I popped out, and I took the third guy back, you know, and, and said, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, no, I'm waiting for Jared. And I said, <laughs> well, I, I'm sure I could help you. Uh, and he says, no, I'm waiting for Jared. I said, well, I hate to be pushy, but I actually trained Jared. I'm the owner, you know. I trained him. I know everything he knows. I taught him, you yeah, know. Uh-huh. I'm sure I can help you. And he said, thank you. I appreciate that. I really would rather talk to Jared. There you go. And I walked away and I went, yes. Yeah. These guys, they're Jared's customers, not mine. And But he taught the culture. He knows how to treat them. Yes. And they're loyal to him. And I love that because mm-hmm. I don't need to stroke my ego with, with customer you know, customers tell me how awesome I am. When they tell me my business is awesome, that's enough. Sure. Because I've carefully employed my people. Yeah. It's a wonderful lesson for business owners to learn is that delegation factor. And so many never learn it. They feel like they have right. to do everything. And to be able to sit off to the side and have your business run on its own, and that frees you up to do all sorts of things, not just vacations or time away, but to focus on business growth. Focus right. on, on your business and not in your business. Incredibly valuable yeah, lesson, I, and I can yeah. see why you're so proud of that moment. Let's have a little yeah. bit of fun here. Go back in history sure. and talk about your first really special car, and if you could share a memory you have with that vehicle. Yeah, what a beauty. I got. Uh, I was working at the Chevy Olds dealer, uh, running the shop, and a customer came in with his 55 old Super 88 Holiday Coupe. And he was the original owner. It was sold eight days before I was born at the dealership in town. And uh, it was all originally brought in for a transmission service, which was unheard of for an old guy like that to be that. 
and it only had 72,000 miles on it. I was 21 at the time, and I used to joke the car was in better shape than I was. <laughs> uh, it was just gorgeous, and I asked him how much he wanted for it, and he said it wasn't for sale, and I gave him my card, and six months later, he called me up, and he says, you know, I don't ever drive it in the rain, and I don't drive if it's dark then my wife drives and it's really kind of an extra car Mm -hmm. he says so i'll sell it to you so i ran to the bank got the money and bought that 55 olds and it was just a beauty it was so much fun yeah Yeah. (laughs) what fun great (laughs) how about seller's remorse is there a vehicle that you've let go in your life that you really wish you had back in your garage oh boy do i ever I had a 69 Z28, silver with black stripes. Oh, man. Uh, I I say a casualty of my college education uh, because I was (laughs) put myself through school and the postmaster from the the post office came by at the dealership and he walked in and he says, is that your car? And I said, I said, yeah. And he said, what do you want for it? And I said, get the hell out of here. Yeah, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> That's my baby. You can't buy it out. Yeah. Take my right arm. Take my toolbox. Yep. Don't take my car, you know. Yeah. And he says, well, I, I said, you know, it's not for sale. And he says, yeah, everything's for sale. And I said, yeah, if you got enough money. And he says, well, how much is enough money? And I threw a price out there, double what I'd paid for it. Of course, I'd done a lot of work on it and mm-hmm. uh, make it fly. And he said, well, let's go for a road test. And I went, oh, crap. Yeah, I should have said three times as much. (laughs) Yeah, I should have said three times. So we went for a road test, and and he said, okay, here's... I said, no, 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 I didn't decide. I said, we go for a road test. i got to think about this. So I I wrestled with it overnight and and weighed out the finances and said, dang it, i got to let her go. But I I got first right of refusal, and uh, turned out that the guy passed away a few years ago but his son's gonna keep it okay he's still in the family (laughs) my brother lives in the same town and so i'm making arrangements to get my new car and that car side by side both silver camaros yeah and uh take some pictures and just reminisce a little bit well i you know that same thing has happened to me with several cars people have seen them they came up and i threw these crazy numbers and every time they bit so if that happens again, I am going to triple the number I throw out there. Me because, too. Yeah. <laughs> but I exactly. did the same thing. One of my one of my toy cars went to pay for education. So, yeah. you know, I understand. I've been there. I've done that. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, besides my car, uh, <laughs> I, I, I got the, the first Callaway Camaro. Uh, Reeves Callaway has been hot rod Corvettes for almost 30 years. Uh-huh. and in '09, when they re-released the Camaro with that new sexy body and everything, they said, we need to do one of those. Mm-hmm. And so they bought my car and tricked it all out and drove it all over the country to show it off. And, and uh, curiously enough, uh, Rick Hendricks, uh, Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jimmy Johnson's racing owner, he was celebrating his 25th year uh, of his race team, so he bought 25 of them. Wow. from them, and he donated one to the Barrett-Jackson auction for charity, and it went for $240,000. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so the new body style changed in 2014, and so the car no longer represented the the current body, and so it went up for sale, and I found it and fell in love and bought it, and and it's my passion. She's just an amazing machine. I got my road racing license at Pacific Raceway and at the Ridge. Yeah. And so uh, go out and 
throw some rims and slicks on there and take it to the track and and it's just a beast everybody Very cool. loves it yeah, and that's yeah. the car that's going to be on the picture of a car will be on right. the show notes page here at Cars Yeah. So you, you guys can all go to to uh, carsyeah.com and uh, check out Howard's baby. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Howard. If you were a car, yeah. what kind of car would Howard be and why? Well, I don't know if this is uh, precocious or not, but uh, I think I'd be one of the five original 62 Grand Sport Corvettes. Ooh, okay. Now, why a Grand Sport? Well, they were hand-built race cars, you know, developed by Duntov himself to uh, to go out and thrash the, the Ferraris. And, uh, and then Chevy Corporate pulled the plug and told him to destroy the cars, and he sold them to a dealer in Atlanta for a dollar apiece, <laughs> a guy that was involved in Chevrolet racing and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and I've seen uh, two of them up close personally, and they're phenomenal machines, and they're rare, and they're exotic, and they're fast and beautiful, and and uh, I think I'd want to be one of those. Well, I think you'd be a cool Grand Sport. And <laughs> Thank you. one of my friends up here in the Northwest, Tom, had one, and I spent yeah, a whole I day, saw Tom. Yeah, yeah, crawling around that car, photographing that car, and uh, used to I saw him race that car at the vintage races with Sovereign up here. So uh, pretty darn yeah. cool. I love it. Well, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power, and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Okay, Howard, we're back and we're entering the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? I am. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? You're going to laugh, but <laughs> it's friends don't let friends drive Fords. <laughs> oh, all you Ford lovers, cover your ears up. Cover I, your ears up. I already showed my colors. It's yeah. a fun debate. I love the Chevy Ford thing back and forth. Yeah. Uh, when it's done with respect, it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. I respect the, my opponent because they're worthy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. A lot of Ford yeah. guys on this show as well. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, love everybody. If it rolls on rubber, we love it. There you go. Yep. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? I try to look at the other person's perspective, mm-hmm. how it appeared to them. Yes. And some of my biggest successes have been able to change my own mind and my own filter by putting myself in their shoes, a common phrase. But when you really look at it that way, 
it ends conflict. It's it provides a different level of service. It's just what I try to do. Well, you know, it's a key thing in communication. I love Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly mm-hmm. Effective People. My favorite right. is number five: first listen to understand then speak to be understood. And that plays exactly to that point yeah. that you just talked about, especially when you're helping people repair their cars. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners you're really fond of? I do. Uh, All Data, uh, one of our technical information uh, source sources, offers a do-it-yourself uh, subscription. Oh, okay. And and so what's really cool, we, we have Mitchell on-demand and all data, though both of those services, to be able to cover all the, the information we need because they each have holes in different areas where they're not uh, complete. But all data supplies the same level of information that we use on a daily basis for one car for a year for thirty four ninety five. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Photographs, specs, tech bulletins, the whole thing. My kid brother, his my nephew popped his timing belt on his Civic and bent the valves and and he, my brother says, I think we're going to try and do it ourselves. And I said, yeah, spend this 40 bucks. It'd be the best money you ever spent. And they went through and ran like a top, saved themselves thousands of dollars. And and, uh, and it's great for you out there that really want to dive into your car yeah. and feel courageous. Wonderful resource. And how about yeah. a book? Is there one book in particular you think our listeners would really enjoy reading? I like to give away books that impact my life. Mm -hmm. I'll buy copies and give them to friends and give them as gifts. Awesome. And I think the book that's impacted me the most in the last 10 years was The Shack. The Shack. Okay, that's a new one here at Cars. Yeah, tell us about The Shack. Yeah. Well, The Shack's a beautiful retelling of beautiful things that have gotten lost in Christianity. And it's about, uh, uh, it's fictional, but it's been translated into 49 different languages and over 100 million copies sold around the world. Oprah had it on her top top of her reading list for three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a beautiful story for people that that have walked away from from religion and from God because of some of the mean things and stuff they couldn't stomach. Mm-hmm. And it presents an older uh, view of our relationship with our Creator that's beautiful and touching and, and non-threatening. And uh, the book will grip you. Very well written and, uh, and a beautiful story. Well, great. Well, we'll add that to our guest recommended reading list. If you go to carsyad.com, okay. there's a a resources tab there. Just click on it. There's a list of all these great books and including The Shack. Thank you for sharing that with us. Welcome. I didn't <laughs> think you wanted a technical journal or something like that. <laughs> it, a you know, <laughs> anything is fine here on Cars. Yeah, we love to hear about new reading material and learning new things. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, Howard. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only yeah. have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because today... I'm footing the bill. What would that one vehicle be and why? Well, I think I get off easy on this one because it's the same answer to the one, the car I would want to be. Mm -hmm. I'd love to have a 62 Grand Sport Corvette in my garage. I'd even settle for one of the kit cars that they make in South Africa, and they look the same, but they got modern drivetrain. But I'd love to have one of those. Yeah, you know, we had uh, Lance Stander on this show from Superformance, and they're building some Chevrolets now. So, yeah, Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll have to put you guys, two guys together. I think he might be able to entice you to pull your wallet (laughs) 
wait, I'm buying you the car. Uh-oh, forget it. I forget I said that. <laughs> well, we'll make sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll make sure we get you the that Grand Sport. What cool. a wonderful car. I think you'll have some fun. And uh, when I'm sitting yeah. out on my porch here in Gig Harbor and I hear those uh, gears uh, mm. passing through, I'll go, oh, that's Howard out having fun in his Grand Sport. So <laughs> I love that. Well, Howard, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your story. So I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners. Would you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the track in that 1962 Chevrolet Grand Sport Corvette? Yeah. I would say that if you don't love where you go and take your car for service, you need to come see us. <laughs> yes. Because we, we're passionate about people and cars, and uh, and you got to meet Frankie. We've got a French bulldog that belongs oh. to my service manager, and he's in the office every day that Jared's there. And people just love him. They'll stop by just to see Frankie because they're in the area and they need a, a Frankie fix. A Frankie he's fix. A sw- he's the sweetest little pup and uh, very friendly. He loves the ladies especially. He comes running out to greet them. And, and it's just a different feel at a at a service facility than you'll feel anywhere else. Yeah, my wife Jill loves French bulldogs, and I think mm. I'm going to have to bring her over to meet Frankie. That sounds great. Yeah. Let me ask you yeah. this, because uh, we have listeners all over the world here. So right. obviously, bringing your car to Gig Harbor for many of them is going to be a challenge. <laughs> so let me ask you this before we let you go: okay. If our other listeners are trying to find a great place to take their car to be serviced, what? are a couple key points they should look for. I think that uh, the warranty that's being offered is a huge confidence builder for the customer, and it's also uh, a statement of the quality of the work. We have a three-year, 36,000-mile warranty on everything we do, friction materials, clutches, brakes. If you're wiping out clutches, I'm going to teach you how to drive one so mm-hmm. you don't do it again. Uh, <laughs> and, and that says a lot about the confidence of the customer that the, that the shop has in their own work. And then, you know, the people move out of way, and they're like, how do I find a shop? I said, go to a parts store and ask them where they would take their car. Ah, very good advice. Delivery guys go to every shop. And they know who the nice people are and who the guys that are, treat them like jerks. And, you know, and so the parts delivery guys have a great feel for who's always busy and who treats their people right. Great advice. Awesome. Wonderful. And what's right. the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? You know, we have a website, of course, and there's a bio page with the pictures and biographies for my, for my employees. And that's MackertAutomotive.com. M-A-C-K-E-R-T automotive.com. And you'll see our 650-plus five-star reviews online when you go to the review section. Wow, awesome. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything Howard's been so kind to share with us today at carsyad.com slash Howard Mackert. Just put Howard in the search bar. His show notes page will pop up with all those links. And I think we're going to have to come over and visit, pay a visit to Frankie, too, as soon as my wife hears this interview. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Howard, for being so generous with your time today and your Thank expertise. You, You're welcome, and for sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!